Thanks for listening to this sermon from River of Life Alliance Church. We hope the Holy Spirit uses it to point you toward Jesus. If you call River of Life home, we'd encourage you to join a journey group where you can unpack our sermons with a group of people who want to get to know you, who will care for you, read the Bible with you, pray over you, and serve alongside you. Uh, well, welcome to our, our Christmas uh, Day service. Glad that you're here. I love to see all the kids in the PJs. Uh, if you are guests with us, I've been saying here for the last couple of weeks that they could come dress in their PJs. I wore uh, some new slippers that I was given, uh, so uh, this is totally casual uh, here uh, this morning. Uh, if you've got your Bibles or a phone or whatever you want to look on, I don't know if you brought any of that kind of stuff. But we do have some Bibles in the back if you want to snag one of those. Uh, you're more than welcome to. Uh, you can open it up to Matthew chapter uh, one. Uh, as Matt said, uh, for the last four weeks, we've been plugging away through an actual Advent uh, series, uh, and each one of the messages has corresponded to our candles uh, over here. Uh, the first week, we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, and we lit the candle that represented waiting. Advent is actually an invitation for us to wait, uh, and in the midst of uh, the waiting seasons, God can actually uh, change the way we pray. Uh, He can strengthen uh, the way in which we obey, uh, and he can increase our dependency on God's salvation. The second week, uh, we lit the candle uh, for anticipation. Uh, We took a look at John the Baptist, and we showed uh, Matt preach that message and showed us how uh, that anticipation actually is an invitation for us to prepare intentionally. Uh, And the way in which we prepare intentionally is by maintaining a a posture of humility uh, with a passion for Jesus that grows the more we fall in love with him. The third week, uh, we just simply asked the question, hey, what is the purpose of why Jesus came? Uh, And Toby Axelson, one of our elders here, preached that. Uh, And the purpose of why Jesus came was to save sinners. And he unpacked about why that, that truth is so radical. Uh, and sometimes we as Christians, uh, we want to overcomplicate it or make it complex, but uh, it really is uh, a simple but radical uh, idea. And then the fourth week, last week, uh, we looked at, uh, we lit the fourth candle, the hope candle, uh, and we looked at uh, Christians in the midst of our daily toils, in the midst of our mortality, and the hope of glory that is in us gives us hope uh, for today and for the future, uh, the hope of glory being the, the, the Christ spirit that actually dwells uh, within us right now can give us hope for today. Uh, well, today I'm going to sum up all of Advent. So Advent is sort of a preparation period. It leads up to Christmas, but today is Christmas. So no longer are we looking at the arri- or le- all the things leading up to the arrival of Jesus. Now we're actually going to look at the arrival of Jesus. Jesus is here. He's arrived. He has come. The Christ The Messiah, the Savior, is here. So let's read about that and see what that looked like in Matthew chapter 1. And then I have a couple of points uh, that I just want to draw out for us here this morning. So Matthew chapter 1, I'm going to start right in verse 1. You're going to be like, if you're familiar with your Bible, you're probably going to be wondering why I'm reading this. I'm going to get there. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, "...the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham." Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram." 
and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of, I think it's Salmon, that's how I want to pronounce it, but we're going with Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Jeram, and Jeram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shelatiel, and Shelatiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abud, and Abud the father of Elikiam, and Elikiam the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph. There we are. And the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation of Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. All right. Why in the world would I start off reading the genealogy? It usually gets skipped around Christmas. My word, it is exhausting. It is a tongue twister of names to try to pronounce. Uh, I, I just want to uh, point out here that, uh, today with my first point is that the genealogy shows the humanity of the Christ. We should not skip this portion. Matthew includes this for a very specific purpose. It's not just to bore you or to give you a bunch of names that you can't pronounce. The genealogy shows the humanity of Christ. Now, this is significant for two reasons. One, it shows us that Jesus is not a myth. Notice how this story doesn't begin. Matthew doesn't start the gospel once upon a time or in a galaxy far, far away, right? He doesn't begin it with, these are the teachings of Jesus. He has real people, a real identity, real roots. This is actual history in reality it's not made up see sometimes i think we want to put christmas in a box with all the other fables and all the other didactic teachings which is just a fancy way of saying they're lessons uh stories meant to to give us uh an idea of how to live our lives but there's no moral of the story to the nativity it's not advice on how to live your life life it's news about the life of jesus and why it's the greatest event in history. And if it's true, then everything else in the Bible hangs on, the, on this event. Second thing, it shows that Jesus is for everyone. In the ancient world, a genealogy actually acted more like a resume. Uh, what it did was it showed people, hey, this is what I'm like. These are my credentials for who I am. And if you actually get into the knit and gritty, which I'm not going to do here today, but if you get into the knit and gritty and study who's actually in the genealogy of Jesus, it's fascinating. Because if I'm the king of the universe, you would think my genealogy would be full of rich people, of royalty, sort of the who's who of people that have ever been created. Because that would show how impressive that person was. 
But the genealogy of Jesus shows us that God is trying to impress onto us that through grace, everyone is in. In his genealogy, Jesus has five women, not one, five women are listed in there. You never saw that in an ancient genealogy, ever. And if they were, they were quickly eradicated because women were outsiders in this time. Women were not part of the culturally elite. And so for Jesus to have, again, not just one, but five in his genealogy, what Jesus is saying here is, I am here for the outsiders. I am here for who the world says is not in. I am here for the people that get pushed down, the not culturally elite. Now, you might want to point out, yeah, but David got in there, and David was king of Israel. Yeah, he was, and he did make the list. But notice how Matthew describes him. He says, Solomon was his son by the wife of Uriah. That's a very interesting statement to say it that way. The wife of Uriah was a girl named Bathsheba, but Matthew doesn't use that name here. Why? And if you know the story, you know where I'm going. He's pointing out that David messed up here. David actually committed adultery with Bathsheba and had Uriah murdered. In other words, for Matthew to put it in there that way and say it that way, he's saying Jesus is here for the people that have messed up, not the people who think they have it all together. Jesus is here for the outsiders and he's here for everyone. He's here for the people that have messed up. Let's keep reading in Matthew chapter one. Bringing it back up in verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The second point I want to make uh, here this morning is this. The virgin birth shows the divinity of Christ. If his genealogy shows his humanity, the virgin birth shows his divinity. I'll make this point super quick because it leads to my third and last point. There are a ton of blogs, commentators, literature, books, all kinds of things have been written about the virgin birth and trying to dissect it. And it usually ends up with us focusing on Mary. When in reality, I think if we read the story, we should be focusing on the Holy Spirit. He's the one that actually took whatever it took to make a baby inside a virgin. That's the impossible. That's unbelievable power. On a side note, if you're a Christian here today, and I've been really convicted with this as I took a look at this this week, it should absolutely overwhelm you that the God who is able to take God and put him in a human actually resides in you right now. I don't know about you, but I, I struggle to believe that the Holy Spirit actually wants to and, and possesses the power to make me look more and more like Jesus. That when I woke up this morning and when I put my head on my pillow tonight, I am going to look more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit's doing that in my life. He possesses that power. If, 
he put a baby inside a virgin? That's his power? Why am I so quick to doubt his power in this arena of making me look more like Jesus? That's just a side note, but it had me convicted. It is massively significant that Jesus is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it can only mean one thing. Jesus is God. If the Holy Spirit conceived him, he must be God. And it is imperative that Jesus be God because of the mission he is supposed to complete. He is supposed to save people from their sins. There's only one person that can do that. And that's God. Let's finish the chapter, Matthew 1. I think I left off in verse 20, 21. 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. My last point, the third point that I want to make here uh, today is the names of Christ reveal his salvation. The first name we see mentioned that the son that is born to Mary and Joseph, his name is going to be Jesus. The name Jesus literally means God saves. The mission of Jesus was to save sinners. This is also why he bears the title Christ, as we talked about when we read the Advent candle. Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. It means Messiah. It means Savior. But what's truly significant to me is that not only do we see the mission of Christ in his name, but the second name actually shows us the way in which God saves, the nature of his salvation. The second name we see mentioned is Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. Now, this verse should kind of seem weird to you because on the one hand, he says, hey, you're going to name your son Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. And then Matthew says, that fulfills the prophecy of the prophet saying his name's going to be Emmanuel. Wait, what? That's a different, different name, bro. Like, Jesus and Emmanuel are different names. Um, so what is Matthew trying to show here? I think Matthew is trying to get us to see the nature of God's salvation, the way in which Jesus will save See, God isn't interested in saving you so that you can live forever in a white puffy cloud and get everything you want. God is interested in saving you so that you can be with him. God with us. By the biblical definition, salvation entails the fact that we get God. And I don't know about you, but so many times I've approached the manger asking Jesus what I can get from him. I've approached the manger in such a way where I want to use Jesus for my little kingdom, for my ends, to what I want. And I go to Jesus and I say, Jesus, what do you have for me? And Jesus says, how about myself? And I'm quick to be, yeah, but what else you got? This Christmas day for us, if we truly want to embrace Christmas, then we must ask ourselves this question. If the only gift you ever got today and the only gift you ever get from all the Christmases you're ever going to have, if that gift was simply Jesus, would that be what you truly wanted? 
I'll leave you with that question this Christmas. Let's pray. Jesus, God, as we celebrate what you've done for us, may we know that you are not some made-up myth, that you are not just advice, that you are not just a lesson with some moral about how we're supposed to live, but God, that you are a real person in human history that did something so radical that it turned the world upside down and it should turn our worlds upside down. And God, you are not just a man, you were God in the flesh. And you have come to save. That is your mission. And the way in which you save, God, the the, the pinnacle foundation of what it means to be saved is that we get you. We get a relationship with you. So Jesus, may that be what we celebrate this Christmas. May that be the true heartbeat of our lives. And may you get all the glory. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. Well, you guys are dismissed. Merry Christmas. Enjoy your time with family. Enjoy this holiday and remember Jesus and what he has done for you.